So Calvin institutes all of these changes in Geneva slowly over time. Just know that those changes don't happen overnight. They don't go, oh, look at his greatness. We're going to listen to everything he says. Instead, he has fought tooth and nail as, you know, as much as possible. They want to keep everything the same. And as much as possible, Calvin wants to change as much as he possibly can. So what is the most powerful tool in Calvin's arsenal? It is the pulpit. It's the pulpit. Um, Calvin did not have the usual markers of a great preacher. By the way, I've probably read about 30 of of Calvin's sermons. I am not going to dwell on a specific sermon like we did with Luther, where we went through his sermon that he preaches on the way uh, to get tried by the Roman uh, Catholic Church. And instead, I just want to talk more broadly about what it is about Calvin's preaching that ends up having a huge influence on the Reformation. Um, He did not have the warmth and humor of Luther. You know, Luther would make you laugh in a sermon. Uh, Luther would say stuff that was so outrageous that it would, you could not help but chuckle. Um, Calvin has little humor to speak of. There's, I, I don't think I've ever seen a moment in any of Calvin's sermons where I laughed, at least where he meant for me to laugh. Um, you know, sometimes I will be surprised that he'll just say, this guy's really stupid. Um, you know, they, they, they spoke that way. They spoke that way during the Reformation period. This was just something about the debating environment of humanism encouraged people to call each other out when they saw stupidity. Um, he was not a great orator, we're told, as far as his delivery goes, but he was a workhorse. He was extremely knowledgeable and he was very warm hearted. Um, he wasn't dramatic as a preacher. He wasn't an entertaining public speaker. Like all of the things that you might think of in a great public speaker, we're told that he didn't have those things. And yet very few preachers have brought as much change as Calvin did. Here were Calvin's gifts. One of his gifts was a very focused intensity on the text, honed with great concentration. So um, he would preach without notes and he would preach without a manuscript. He had nothing in front of him except the text of the of of the scripture open in front of him. Um, He was writing the sermon as he preached. So what he would do is he would study the the passage carefully beforehand. He would have an idea of what he wanted to say and of the things that he wanted to get to. But he came to the congregation only with the Bible in his hand. Um, And by the way, that explains why he's able to preach multiple times a week. Um, he's able to preach twice on Sundays. He preaches three times during the week. Um, again, you have seasons where he's not doing that, but then he has seasons where he's just going like, going like a workhorse. And so what, how is he able to do that? Well, you've got his learning and his study of scripture that comes to serve him in the moment where it's needed most. So, you know, if you have to plan, like I'm a very planned out speaker. I'm a very planned out preacher. Uh, I spend a lot of time getting ready wordsmithing, uh, except in Sunday school here, I just kind of speak off the cuff. But, but I, I spent a lot of time getting ready, and Calvin didn't do that at all. Instead, he just knows the text so well, he has spent so much time in the text, that when he gets up to teach it, he knows what he needs to say, and he knows what the people need to hear. Um, and so, really, all of this comes to a head. All of the learning and everything he's done just shows up in the moment when the preaching actually happens. So that's the first thing, just incredible, intense focus on the text, just a laser focus on what the text is saying. Um, Second thing that he brings, again, not a great orator, but he does bring these gifts. The second thing he brings is extreme clarity of thought and expression. 
Um, he was very strong in the languages, probably the strongest of all the reformers, especially in Hebrew. Um, Hebrew is the area where they're the most tempted to be, to be, you know, fall short. And he was very strong in his Hebrew, uh, used very rich vocabulary in the pulpit, but he was also not hard to understand. Um, you know, he had been subjected to the Roman Catholic pulpit before, and he was determined not to say inscrutable things in his sermon that the people of the city wouldn't benefit from. Um, when I read his sermons, I'm surprised by how plain the language is. Um, I had to sit under a lot of preaching when I was at RTS. And when you're sitting in on a preaching class, and I know, uh, I don't know, Isaiah, have you had any preaching classes yet at Greenville? So get ready, because when you're in preaching class, here's, here's kind of what you get. At least this is my experience. Maybe Greenville's different. In my experience, it's a bunch of guys who all were told that they were very smart and that they are really just the best and that they are wonderful and that they, they, they come to preaching class and they think now is my opportunity to show everyone that I really belong here. <laughs> and so what do they do? They bring, out, they bring out a theology lesson or they bring out something that you can see. It's almost like their justification. Here's why I'm here. And it ends up being a very heady sermon. It ends up being something that's smart, uh, probably true, probably accurate. And it just sounds like showing off a little bit. And so a lot of big words, a lot of things that don't get interpreted for an ordinary person to understand. And guess what? Calvin didn't do that. He did not preach like that. He preached with ordinary language. Um, he didn't show off his knowledge of the languages. Sometimes he would make an appeal to the Greek or the Hebrew, but he would do it in a way that didn't sound like he was flexing. Um, he used similes. Uh, metaphors. Uh, there's a sermon in, on the book of Micah where he says, uh, hypocrites use the temple as armor against God's judgment and as a cape to cover their wickedness. They use the temple as an armor against God's judgment and a cape to cover their wickedness. What a great metaphor, you know? Um, you know, he just, um, Hughes Oliphant Old in his, his book on Reformation preaching says that, that Calvin would sp- swing from prophetic indignation and mystic rapture. Calvin can speak of God's love for his church with as much fervor as he can about God's judgment upon the wicked, right? He is somebody who sees the full range of God and just all of his character and his majesty and tries to bring those things to bear and when he's preaching. Um, so that's the second thing, right? Extreme clarity of thought and expression. Here's another one. This is one of the gifts that he brings. Constant concern for application. And again, this is another one of those things that we, if, you, if you go to the seminary and you're hearing first year preaching students, you are hearing very little application usually and very few illustrations. Or you're hearing all illustration. And you come away from the sermon going, wait, I remember the story about the dog, but I don't remember why he was telling us a story about the dog. So either the illustration ends up dominating the sermon or you end up forgetting how the sermon even matters because none of it connected to real life. So you have all these dilemmas that go on. Calvin is constantly concerned for, why did God put this in the text? Why did he want us to read this? Why did he want it to be there? Um, you know, he's, he's, again, he's got this sermon on Micah. And he would, in his sermons on Micah, he would see Micah's application to Israel. And he would make an application to Geneva. He would say, God had this to say to Israel. Well, well here, here you are, church. You're, 
that was God's church. Now this is God's church. I'm going to preach to you, and you're going to hear the same message that Israel needed to hear. Um, so, so the passage was never just a raw study of something God said at one time in history. Oh, isn't this interesting that God said this? Um, the people of Israel always had something in common with Geneva that made the word evergreen. I'm supposed to say that once every Sunday school, apparently. You say the copyright. Um, always relevant. So here, I'm going to give you a, another quote from Old talking about the Sermon on Micah. He says, if Micah had preached about the responsibilities and failures of ancient Israel, Calvin was quick to draw attention to the vocation of Geneva on one hand and its failure to fulfill it on the other. If Micah fulminated against the idolatry of Samaria, Calvin applied the warnings of the prophet against the superstitious rites purveyed by Rome. So he brings it up to date, right? Uh, The gracious promises God made to his people through the mouth of Micah Calvin proclaimed to be the people of God in his own time. As the reformer of Geneva understood it, the prophetic promises of the prophets are to be claimed by the church both now and to the end of the world. Um, You know, it's a huge contrast to what many Christians grow up in, which is an Old Testament-less Christianity, right? A Christianity that sees the Old Testament as ancient history and background for the New Testament, but they don't see it as a story of the church they're part of. And so Calvin did a much better job of of bringing the Old Testament to bear. Um, In fact, that's actually the fourth thing. This is is something I'm stealing from old, but I think it's true from Hughes Oliphant Old. I believe it's true, though. The fourth thing that made Calvin's preaching so important was that he was drawing things from Scripture that people had not heard in centuries. Um, Think about this. If, If people don't know Hebrew then how, what's your attitude toward the Old Testament going to be? I mean, I'm just spitballing here. Go ahead. And what would your attitude towards the Old Testament be if you didn't know any Hebrew? I mean, you just probably avoid it, right? It's easier to go to the New Testament, easier to spend time in the New Testament. And so what's that? would be like a lot of the evangelical world today. Even to the evangelical world today, much of the Old Testament feels hidden. It feels... Mysterious, it feels inscrutable. And so you just say, hey, you know what? Um, read the Gospels. And who could argue with that, right? The Gospels are wonderful. So, um, but it's easier, though, your whole diet ends up becoming New Testament. So, what does Calvin do? He goes into, this, the, he goes into the cellar and he brings out the old wine. Um, you know, he hadn't made the wine, it was put there by someone else. All he did was bring it out and open it. And so, especially the doctrine of God's grace and salvation. These are things that if you read the Old Testament, you see the the choice of God, you see the sovereignty of God over Israel, you see the sovereignty of God in rescuing and redeeming these people. Um, Suddenly you see this huge emphasis on election that ends up becoming something that Calvin is very well known for, right? People sometimes think that's the only thing Calvin believed and taught and, and it wasn't. But part of the reason why Calvin has such an emphasis on election is because he spends so much time in the Old Testament. He spends so much time reading the scriptures of the old that he can't come to the new without reading the same things and to God's Israel today. Um, For centuries, the people of Geneva have been subjected to works-oriented Pelagian religion that was directed toward the self and directed away from God. And then what does he do? He brings out the old wine. 
Which brings us to the fifth reason Calvin was so important as a preacher. He preached a lot from the Old Testament. Um, he did whole series of consecutive sermons from Deuteronomy. Now I'm pointing the finger at myself here. Have you ever heard a sermon series on Deuteronomy? Raise your hand if you ever heard a sermon on, a series on Deuteronomy. All right, we got two. All right, we got three, four. Um, he preached whole series on the book of Job. Um, preached whole series on the major and minor prophets. Um, and when he preached these sermons, it wasn't like the church emptied out. Instead, people were very excited because it would be like taking the book of the Bible you know the least about and someone's finally going to help you understand it. And that's what Calvin does. And so why had they not heard these things? Because they know they had not heard the Old Testament preached in centuries. Um, Remember, even when people read the Old Testament, you didn't really understand the Old Testament better because you were getting an allegorical reading of the Old Testament. So you're not getting a grammatic historical uh, explanation of what's going on in Leviticus, for example. Instead, you're going to get an allegorical reading of the ceremonies, for example. Um, They had not heard what these books really said and what they really meant. And so because Calvin knew his Hebrew, he was specially gifted to be the one to bring these things and to pull them back out into the open and and to open up those treasure troves for people. Um, To us, I think it would be fresh and new to have a lot of Old Testament preaching. But to them, it was the newest, freshest thing they could possibly imagine. Um, And so they saw. so, So what does Calvin do when he goes to the Old Testament? He finds warnings against things like ceremonialism. Moralism against sacrifice but not mercy. And he looks at the situation there where they're dealing with Roman Catholicism. How could he not see it as immediately applicable? He just sees it right there on the surface. It's not even, not even close. Um, and so instead of seeing Jesus fulfill these, these things... The Roman Catholic Church saw this, these things as ongoing. They looked at the ceremonies and the things in the Old Testament and they said, well, what we're doing as a church is we're just brushing them up. We don't have the temple anymore. Now we're still having them. We still have Jesus being sacrificed, but now we don't have the temple and the altar. Now we have the altar here, you know? So it's like they're taking the Old Testament. Instead of seeing it as being fulfilled the way Calvin saw it, he says, they think this still hasn't been finished yet. And he preached like that. And so... In Calvin's Old Testament preaching, he helped the people to see the place of the law as fulfilled in Christ and what that actually means. Um, Here's another thing that made his preaching important and influential. Very high sense of the authority of Scripture. Um, He treated Scripture with reverence. Uh, He saw himself as being under the word. Uh, He subjected himself to God. He did not place himself over God. Um, By the way, these are the same things that made Chrysostom such a great preacher. Right? The word is meant to instruct us, never the other way around. We don't tell the word of God what we want it to say. We don't say what we hope the Bible is saying. We, we ask it, what is it saying? We ask God, what are you saying here? And then we receive it as what it's meant to be received as. Um, he modeled the same devotion to God's word for other preachers too. Remember, he's training other ministers. So they're listening to his preaching. They're seeing how he's doing it. And then they're taking that thing that they love that they see in him. And they're carrying it to the places where they're going to serve. Whether that's back in England. Whether that's other, part, other places in Switzerland. Or in some cases, whether they're going back to France with it and giving their lives. 
Um, because remember, France is a very dangerous place. And he sees himself as training up French missionaries to go back and do the same thing that he left. Um, he also saw the word of God as a historical document. Uh, Calvin was confident that the more we studied the word in its context, the better we could interpret it. And so he saw the Bible as a record of real events and he spoke of them that way. Um, but notice this, this goes back to sort of the warning from today, right? In the sermon, we talked about the fact that a sermon can become just intellectual, which is a dangerous thing if it never penetrates the heart. And so for Calvin, the Bible never remains a historical record. It is, it is a historical record, but it's not merely a historical record. Um, here's, a, here's a seventh thing. I'm listing a lot of things. A seventh thing that makes Calvin's preaching stand out. Calvin saw preaching as worship. He saw preaching as a form of worship. Um, we, should all, we should not move very quickly past this. Uh, this, is, this is one of the great contributions by Calvin. I'm not saying nobody else in church history ever recognized that preaching was worship. But again, when you remember his influence, when you remember the number of people that he, that he has an impact on, and when you remember the important place that Geneva has... You could see why we need to, to lean on this for a minute. This is an important contribution of Calvin's. By the way, it also explains why he was so serious about preaching. For him, this, the pulpit was not a, not a place to joke around because the most important thing in the whole universe, the reason you exist, is taking place when the word of God gets proclaimed. So Calvin defines worship as to serve God's glory. Pretty simple, pretty easy definition, to serve God's glory. And he said this, when God's word is heard, he is glorified. I, I think that should go without saying. It's almost a tautological statement. It's all a self-evident statement. Um, that when God's word is heard, he is glorified. And so to preach is to hear God's word and have the veil over his glory lifted so we can see God as he is. That's what takes place when the word of God is faithfully preached. Right? The veil gets lifted. And the, 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 the shine is, is shown to us. We see glimpses of his glory. And so preaching displays the stores of God's wisdom. When you see God's wisdom, how do you respond? You respond with gratitude. You respond with amazement. You respond with delight. Um, and when people hear and respond to God's word, what happens? God is seen as great and he's seen as glorious. And worship results when, it's, when, when preaching is received by faith. So don't just think of the preacher as the one who's worshiping when he preaches, which it is. But you are worshiping when you receive it and when you respond as you're supposed to. So, so just, and I don't know how often, how, how many times do you actually think of, of preaching or listening to a sermon as a form of worship? I think we, oftentimes the way we talk is the singing is worship. Um, the praying, maybe we think of that as worship. I really do not think that we oftentimes consider that preaching is worship. Um, and I think it's an important contribution. I think it's an important thing that if you believe it, it's going to change the way you approach the service. Um, the transformed Israel in scripture is meant to be a place that all the people of the earth go in order to learn God's law. And so Calvin understood this to mean that the reading and preaching of scripture has a central place in the worship of the church. It becomes the church's primary responsibility. Um, every church must decide what it's going to major in and what it's going to minor in. Um, that decision has to be made. You know, 
There are some churches I'm sure out there who do everything that they do amazingly. Everything that they do, they do just, just in a way that blows everybody away. And you think, how did they do it? It's just always, whenever I visited First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi, I always thought this place goes off without a hitch. Every Sunday, it goes perfectly. I don't understand how great it is. The preaching is great. The, the music is great. The, everything about this is great. And then one time I was, I might have told this story before, but I'll tell it anyway. One time I was hanging out with David Strain, who's a pastor from there. And he said, uh, he's Scottish, but I won't try to do his Scottish accent. He told me about a Sunday where he went to, uh, uh, he went to uh, uh, baptize a child. And he lifted the lid off the baptismal font. And there was no water in the font. And there, it's a big church. It's a church with like thousands of people in it. And so here he is, his family's up there, the baby's there. And he lifts up the font and there's no water. And he goes, what do I do? And he said, for a split second, I thought, just mime it. <laughs> just mime it. And then he thought, no, I better not. And he just said, can I get a deacon? Please go get me some water as fast as possible. And they just brought a bottle of water up and dumped it in and dumped this crazy cold water on this child's head. Um, I guess I tell that story because there's not a perfect church. You know, there's, there's not a church where everything goes off without a hitch. But do you know what? I would rather um, David Strain spend time preparing to preach and in the pulpit than making sure there's water in the baptismal font. Um, this stuff works itself out. Sometimes life is clumsy. Sometimes things don't work out right. Sometimes uh, the bulletin prints the wrong word for a song and everyone gets confused. Uh, sometimes the pastor picks a song that everybody doesn't know. And they're like, why are we singing this song? Nobody knows. But you know what? The preaching of the word is the, is, is, is the primary duty of the church. And so if you have to have a church that's, that's picking one thing to focus on and to major in, you want it to be the preaching of the word. Um, you, you want it to be the preaching of the word. And that's, that was the thing that actually drove Calvin and made his preaching so impactful for people. Um, faithful preaching is a matter of obedience. It's a way for the minister to love God, and it's a way for the church to love God's word and to engage with him. Um, Jesus himself is present in the read and preached word. Um, in fact, in God's word, here's what's really going on. Jesus is among us, and he's declaring his will, and he's exercising his rule. You know, it's like Jesus gets up to preach a sermon. Um, because here's what's going on. Jesus is present in the word. He's worshiped in the word. And so all of the service has to be centered around the word. Because insofar as the word of God is there, Jesus is there. And insofar as Jesus is there, he's being worshiped and glorified. And so in faithful preaching, Jesus is preaching to us. In the faithful administration of the sacraments, Jesus is feeding us, right? He's, 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 he's set the table. He's gathered us around it. He's invited us to it. Um, when we're praying faithful prayers, Jesus is speaking to the Father through his people. Um, you can see perhaps why the reading and preaching of the scripture was not only something Calvin was passionate about, but that the congregations in Geneva would see as well. Now, that doesn't mean that Geneva was paradise. Uh, that doesn't mean that there weren't massive distractions. That doesn't mean that there weren't tons of people who hated going to church on Sundays uh, in Geneva, which you were legally required to do. Um, you know, so, you know, again, don't think of a paradise on earth. I mean, I'm staying away from the biographical stuff here largely, um, just kind of really focusing on the preaching. 
Um, but Calvin ministered from very deep convictions about what was happening when preaching was taking place. And it was foundation to, foundational to his sober-minded focus and careful, earnest reading and preaching of Scripture. So if you ever wonder why, why do we make such a big deal about the preaching of Calvin, I think those seven or eight reasons are the reason why. Um, now, does anybody want to ask me questions that I won't be able to answer? It's always what I say. But <laughs> yeah, Larry. Well, not so much a question. It's just an observation. One of the things that, that stuck in my mind, I, I think it's uh, in the book, Calvin and his, and his company of pastors. Is that the right term? Mm-hmm. Calvin's company of pastors. Yeah, company of pastors. Been too long. But, um, you know, when, when they were dealing with the plague, he was a pastor. You know, he was pastor to his pastors, but they tried to take him out of the rotation of visiting the sick, and he wouldn't do it. Mm. So he lived his faith. The first uh, first round, like you could tell, I could tell stories from the the plague, but the one you know the story that you mentioned, you know, the first time that the plague comes through Geneva, they draw straws to see who's going to go minister to the plague victims. And the first time they do it, they say, you know, Calvin, you can't be in this in this draw. And he agrees to it, um, but only because they pressured him. And they, they were like, we, Calvin, the city really needs you. You're not replaceable in the way the rest of us are. And then the second time the plague comes to Geneva, and I might have the timing, or maybe this is the third time. But, but then later, the, another round of, of the plague comes, and Calvin says, you can't do this. You, you can't leave me out. It it is unseemly, and I must also be willing to die. And so they do put his name in. They do they draw the straws, and a guy's name gets drawn, and he totally wimps out. He won't do it, <laughs> even though his name gets drawn. And I, by the way, I love that story because it shows that they're human beings, right? We're not talking about a bunch of machines, but the guy's so scared. He's like, I, I, can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. And so somebody else raises his hand and says, I'll go. And, you know, like within a week or two, the guy's, the guy's dead. And so he volunteered for something that definitely killed him. Um, Calvin, um, now, I do think that Scott Manesh says nobody knows what would have happened if Calvin's name had actually gotten drawn. So <laughs> if Calvin's name had gotten drawn, would somebody have stepped in and taken the bullet for him or something like that? Nobody knows. But it does show that, that he, he realized, you know what, these people need to be ministered to. And if it has to cost my life, then so be it. I think there's a willingness there, for sure. Anybody else? Well, let me close this in prayer. It's 12, 12 16. You know, I've not, never been closer to landing it uh, right on the runway than, than this one. So. Heavenly Father, we thank you for we thank you for your word which you've given to us so that you've not left us to guess, you've not left us to wander, uh, you've not left us to feel our way around in the dark, but instead you have shined your light into this world and you have given us your word, Lord, your inerrant, infallible word which instructs us exactly in what we need to know. I pray that we would avail ourselves of your word this week. I pray that we would see and savor the importance of what you have and that we would not take your gifts for granted. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.